Well, Spanish poet Antonio Machada wrote a short poem on Jesus, and he said, All your words were one word. All your words were one word. We'll see what that one word is here in just a minute. Somebody once said, though, a great uh, question to stop and think about. If you lived this exact same way for the rest of your life, would you look back and be proud? If not, what needs to change? Something to think about today. If we continued, you and I, to live exactly the same way we do now, would we look back at the end of our life and be proud of that? Or are there things that we might want to change? Proverbs offers a number of places to teach us how to live life in a correct way and to make those changes. And if that's something we need, then we can find the answers there to, to make a decision today, to choose new actions, choose new thinkings, choose new beliefs. But let's look at Proverbs chapter three. Chapter one of Proverbs talked about listening to God. Chapter two talks about seeking to be holy. Let's take a look at chapter three of Proverbs, verse one and two, where he says this, Solomon personified wisdom is obviously here, Solomon has the mind of Christ, something that we need to take for ourselves. In Proverbs 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. As Solomon says, again, he's speaking here through wisdom, the mind of Christ here. Don't forget the teaching of God and keep the commands in your heart. You know, William Golding, who wrote Lord of the Flies back in the 1950s, he based that novel on his own horrific war experiences. Listen to what he had to say, though, a very, very just a blunt statement, but true as he says this, man produces evil as a bee produces honey. Man produces evil as a bee produces honey. When Solomon says, don't forget my teaching, the teachings of scripture, and keep the commands of God in your heart, it is so important that we do that on a regular basis. We know the sin in the world. We know the challenge of sin in our own lives. Listen to what Leonard Ravenhill said. Talk about the need to, to live in holiness by the grace of God. And he writes a lot about just these times of revival down through history, but listen to his words here. The greatest miracle that God can do today is take an unholy man out of an unholy world, make him holy, then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. So let's take a look at how we can stay holy, even when there's an unholy world in which we are passing through at this time. You know, there's a fascinating experiment that uh, was done in, in France, but what it was is there was a, a blind man. He was in a park, and on an average day, he just collected a, a few dollars. He had a simple sign that just said, I am blind. And there was this advertising executive that passed by one day and said, listen, could I change the wording on your sign. I think I could help you out. I understand how people respond to words. And the man said, sure. And this executive just added four words to the sign. It just now read, it is spring and I am blind. No more just I am blind, but it is spring and I am blind. He came back a few days later and checked on this man and said, did the sign change how people responded, and the man said, you know, he just has been receiving just hatfuls of money every day. Well, what happened? When people saw that sign that said, it is spring, they started to notice things they, they hadn't noticed before. They noticed flowers, the birds, the sunshine, the laughter, and suddenly they were noticing things that were joyful, and it brought out the, the best in them, and so they started to, to give to this man. 
So it is for us that we are called to start noticing things there differently and to not forget the teaching of God, but let it be the focus of our life to keep his commands to be the center of our attention. Proverbs says, if you do remember God's teaching and you do keep his commands, here's one of the promises in verse two, they will prolong your life many years. They'll prolong your life many years. You know, taking in scripture, living in a, in a way that Christ calls us to live, it produces not just spiritual health, but physical health because we're living in our higher self. We're living in a way that honors God. And he says he'll honor those who honor him and we make wise choices. And so then we find ourselves just spiritually healthy, physically healthy as well. You know, somebody once said of Tom Hall, the songwriter in Nashville, they, they said, you know, some folks can go around the world, never see a thing, but Tom can just go down the road and see the whole world. And from that perspective, he wrote all these songs because he noticed again things that were different. He had eyes to see things other people didn't see, which takes us back to the Spanish poet Antonio Machado when he said to Jesus, all your words were one word. What was that one word? He said, all your words were one word. Wake up, wake up. So again, as we step into these words here of Proverbs, it's about to wake up. To wake up to changes. You know, if I look back and I continue to live like I live today, will I look back years from now and be proud? If not, what do I need to change? What do I need to to wake up, to notice, to see, to perceive different? What actions need to take in my life to be done differently? You know, we probably don't recognize the name of Agrius Pontus, a fourth century monk. What we all, I'm sure, recognize, though, is what he's known for. He's known for the, the list known as that seven deadly sins. You know, vanity, sloth, gluttony, lust, greed, envy, anger. Here's the thing, though. A vagrious, it was originally eight deadly sins. What do you think the eighth deadly sin was? Let's go back to Proverbs. I'll give you the answer here in just a minute. Proverbs goes on, verse 2, to say, again, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commands. They'll prolong your life. And then notice, and bring you peace and prosperity. To bring you peace and prosperity. As I've shared before, you know, peace, it's the word shalom, which means nothing missing, nothing broken. If you could bottle that up and sell that, you would be the richest person in history. Because the reality is what people want is a nothing missing, nothing broken life. They want that sense of peace. And Proverbs says it begins remembering God's teaching, feeding spiritually upon the word, and then keeping those commands. Nothing missing, nothing broken. To be able to say, you know, my marriage is nothing missing, nothing broken. Or my finances, nothing missing, nothing broken. My emotional health, my job, my relationships, whatever it is to say, you know what? The basis of that type of peace is, again, found in living in Christ. Emily Dixon shared a, a story about her father, you know, the Emily Dickinson, the beloved 19th century poet. And she said one day, you know, they lived in the small town and her father, he rang the fire bell and he did that only in an emergency. And she said, all these people came to the middle of town. He's ringing the fire bell. And she said, you know, they had the items they could carry. They were afraid their house was getting ready to burn down. And they get to the center of town and there's no fire. And they look at her dad and say, why did you ring the fire bell if there's no fire? And he said, look. And he points at the sky. And he said, I didn't want you to miss that sunset. And as Emily Dickinson said, you know, most people were angry and said, you old fool. And they walked away. But she said for her, it was a, it was a moment. 
a wake up moment where her father saw things differently and she started to see things differently and uh, to create this art from that. To wake up, to say, if you want to know that shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, wake up. What change needs to happen for your life, for my life? Dale Carnegie said there's three C's of success. Never criticize, condemn, or complain. But you see the world around us, it's so easy. People are professionals at criticizing, condemning, complaining. But real health, spiritual and physical, happens when we change the way we think, the way that we live, the way we act. Go back to Evagrius of Pontus, the seven deadly sins. Again, he's a fourth century monk. The sins, vanity, sloth, gluttony, lust, greed, envy, anger. The eighth, eighth deadly sin, gloom, gloom. You see, there were two things that distinguished the early church from their culture. It was hope and joy. Hope and joy, not positive thinking that denies the reality of the world, but it's walking in life with that peace that comes from staying in step with Christ. He'll bring peace. Those Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, echoes what Solomon says. Colossians 3 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The same thing, it's the peace of Christ, and it's the word of Christ. They go hand in hand. His peace happens as we remain in him and listen and obediently follow where he leads. There's one more word, though, that Paul shares there we need to come back and look at here in a moment. But as Stephen Newman shares, when we enter worship, the question in our minds and hearts should always be, what can I give today in worship through singing, listening, and participation that will be pleasing to the Lord? Doug Fannin said it very well. He said, I don't know any ungrateful people that know peace. I don't know any ungrateful people that know peace. Again, it's not just a sense of positive thinking. It is, a, it is though, about wake up. Wake up to your calling. Wake up to his presence. Wake up to see and perceive new things. And then he says, when we follow him, there's going to be that peace. Notice what Paul says again, though, in Colossians 3. Notice a word here again. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule is where we get our word for umpire. The picture being painted here is that when Jesus comes into our hearts, he's the umpire. He's the one who directs us to say, this is fair or this is foul. Go this way, not that way. Do this, not do that. He's the umpire to guide and direct, and it's our job to to listen to his direction. I think for a lot of us, probably that that direction of that umpire is is like what I shared with somebody. They were very just open about their sin, unfaithful in their marriage, and just sort of proud about uh, what they were doing. And when I talked to this person, I simply said to them, you know, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And I think that that same umpire in our hearts says that to us many times. When we step into sin or selfishness, that umpire says, what are you thinking? And bids us to return to to the path that he calls us on. We are what we do with our attention. As has been often said, you know, where focus goes, 
Energy flows. We are what we do with our attention. Where's our attention? Is it again upon self? Does it notice those that need our help? Or does it ignore things in the world where we can make a difference? Or does our attention say, look, I want to look back years from now and be proud of how I lived in Christ. Henry Frost shares two words that that changed his life. He was a missionary in, in China and he kept a journal and he wrote about a particular bad moment that took place for him. And in his journal, he wrote these words, and many may identify with what he says, the the painfulness here, but listen to how he overcame and found new peace in the sense of even this darkness. But here's his journal entry. I had received sad news from home. Deep shadows covered my soul. I prayed, but the darkness did not vanish. I summoned myself to endure, but the darkness only deepened. Maybe you identify with his words there, the deep shadows covered my soul. The darkness, it wouldn't vanish, it only deepened. But listen to what he shared next. I went to an island station. I saw on the wall of the mission home, two words, try Thanksgiving. I did, and in a moment, every shadow was gone not to return. Try Thanksgiving. Again, not just trying to have a positive outlook on life, but to simply say, maybe in the midst of the pain, to say, thank you, God, that I will never treat somebody like I've been treated, because I know how that feels. Maybe it's, thank you, God, that I'll have more compassion since I didn't receive the compassion I needed, and I learned that I don't want others to go through that. You see, in the moment that we can change that focus and we can be aware of other things, a different perspective. Listen to what Moses said here. Deuteronomy 30, the people, they were saying, how are we going to get by without you? And and listen to what Moses says, because it's true for you and I. He says this, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. The word is very near you. It's always there because the presence of God is there to lead and direct us. And even if we don't necessarily know the right thing in that moment, we can trust his guidance. We can seek his guidance. The word is very near. It's in your mouth, in your heart. As Augustine said, God is closer to me than I am to myself. And when we walk through life and say, you know what, there's one that is closer to me than I am to myself, and I want to listen to his voice and wake up to his calling, suddenly you see then things begin to change. Leonard Sweet shares this ancient parable. Let me just read the context here. This gentleman's going to, he's going to die in the parable. He stands before God. He's got questions for God about how come life was difficult. The spiritual leader was brought to the presence of God. The man called on God to justify his silence in the face of human suffering. Lord, we prayed night and day, and yet your people have continued to suffer. You have heard our moans. You have seen our tears. Where have you been? And God replied, I am surprised you did not recognize me. I was your tears. I was your moaning. I was your calling out to heaven. Again, God is closer to you than you are to yourself. 
That's why Moses could say, Moses could say, you know, the word is near. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The umpire telling us, go this way, not that way. Do this, don't do that. And when we keep that word in our heart, he promises, you know, a health and a peace and a prosperity and a life that we can look back on. And truly, we can say, you know, if I live this exact same way for the rest of my life, would I look back and be proud? And if not, what needs to change? The greatest miracle that God can do today is take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy. Then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. When we rest in that promise and we rest in that hope and we rest in that peace, then we can understand why Solomon says, my son, my daughter, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart and they will prolong your life many years. They will bring you peace and prosperity, shalom, the nothing missing, nothing broken life. But it won't happen in the midst of selfishness. It'll happen when we say, God, your word to me is to wake up. So wake me up to see things, change things, do things differently. Because I want to know that nothing missing, nothing broken life. You know, Max Lucado, a very popular author, he's a pastor in Texas. But before that, he was a missionary in Brazil. And he shared about times being in Brazil and a special moment that kind of really changed the way he looked at life was one day with this, this beggar child on the street. And I'll just read what he had to say. There are always little beggar boys in the streets of Brazil. Usually I turn away from them because there are so many and you cannot help them all. There was something, though, compelling about this particular little boy. I couldn't turn away. So taking his hand, I said, come with me. I took him to a coffee shop. I said to the owner, I'll have a cup of coffee, give the boy a piece of pastry, whatever he wants. Since the coffee counter was at the other end of the store, I walked on, got a cup of coffee, forgot about the little boy because beggar boys usually get the bread and run back out into the street and disappear. But this one did not. After he got his pastry, he went over to this big American and stood there until I felt his staring eyes. I turned and looked at him, standing up, his eyes just about hit my belt buckle. Then slowly his eyes came up until they met mine. The little boy holding his pastry in one hand looked up and said, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I was so touched by the boy's thanks, I would have bought him the store. I sat there for another 30 minutes late for my class, just thinking about a little beggar boy who came back and said, thank you. I can only imagine our Heavenly Father feels the same way when we express our gratitude and thanksgiving for the things that he has done for us. Again, if you could bottle up the nothing missing nothing broken life and sell that you'd be the richest person in history solomon tells us if, if you want to know real peace 
You want to know lasting peace. You want to know real joy. You want to know real wisdom. You want to experience real life as Jesus designed it. Don't forget the teaching of God. Keep his commands in your heart. They'll prolong your life many years. It'll bring you peace and prosperity. Perhaps today we need to try thanksgiving to move away from criticizing, condemning, complaining. Step into a life and say, you know what, Jesus? All your words, one word. Wake up. Wake us up. So we can look back at the end of our life. Be proud of how we followed after you. How you received all the the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Because your grace was truly greater. And we want to honor you with our daily life. In Jesus' name.